3361 of the Survival Podcast. I decided it was time for one of those episodes where we take a look at the news. We break it down from a uh, redneck hippie duck farmer mindset. That would be the no bullshit version of the news. But specifically today, I want to focus mostly anyway on news that's actually really big news in the world that you won't hear much about unless you go looking for it. You might even find it on you know a website like NBC or CNN or Fox, but it'll be way below the fold as though it's not really that important. And when you hear commentary on it, they'll tell you how it's no big deal and don't worry about it. What do I mean? I'm talking about uh, the BRICS summit that's going on. And BRICS, for those that don't know, is Brazil, Russia, India, and China. But it's now Brazil, Russia, India, China, Argentina, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and the UAE, as those six nations were just admitted. You've probably heard nothing about that, or it was a byline, and you probably think that doesn't seem like it's a big deal. I'm going to tell you why it is. Um, I'm also going to talk, we're going to talk a little bit about what BRICS is doing. Like, there's been all this discussion about BRICS and coming up with a BRICS common currency, and that's not as easy to do as some people think. But do they really need one? They, they really don't. And Putin just asked uh, the BRICS nations to start doing something that they're probably going to do. Uh, and they've been doing it, but they're probably going to do it on a much bigger level than they've been doing in the past. And I think that, well, we'll, we'll save it because this is actually huge news that nobody wants to talk to talk about. Now, I've been getting constantly bombarded with people. They're bringing back masking and lockdowns. I'm going to tell you why I don't care. There's a couple reasons I don't care um, and why I'm not going to put any time into worrying about this. India just became the first nation to land a spacecraft on the South Pole area of the moon. This is something Russia tried twice and crashed twice trying to do. India got this done. The Chinese have wanted to do this. We've wanted to do this. There's a lot going on here. This is one of the biggest stories in human history. Not so much that India was capable of doing it, but what the whole thing is about. This is also something they're just not telling you about because, well, it's actually important. Then we're going to talk a little bit about how we're being continuously led into wars, including the current conflict between Ukraine and Russia, and how last night at the GOP debates, the clown show brought back one of the dumbest arguments that has been used to successfully lead the United States into war throughout history, basically the domino theory. And you think we would learn from this. The whole argument of we're fighting them there so we don't have to fight them here. How many times are we going to believe this bullshit? I, I don't know. Then we will talk a little bit about the clown show uh, debate last night. There was a clown car dropped off all the clowns, eight people debating on stage, at least half of them polling under 5%. I'll tell you why they shouldn't have been there in the first place, but why they, why they were. Why they were. We'll talk a little bit about Vivek Ramaswamy. He seems to me now there's a lot of establishment Republicans suggesting that he blew it last night. Uh, yeah, in your dreams, in your dreams. He's now the number two contender, still what, 40 points, 50 points behind Trump. But it's interesting. But I want to talk about how Trump, Vivek, 
I can't remember the guy. There was a guy on the left that ran in a Democrat clown circus last time. A lot of young people were really hip on. And even Bernie Sanders are really riding the same wave. And I want to talk about this wave. And the wave will not save us with politicians, but it might save us or at least restore us to something uh, approaching sanity if people take it seriously. It's populism. We're going to talk a little bit about how that's being played out in, in, in music. Of course, everybody's really still hot on Richmond, north of Richmond. We'll talk about that. I have an amazing cover for you to hear a little bit of, by the way, when we get to that segment. Uh, just beautiful cover of it. Totally different version of the same song. I shared today on uh, Twitter, or I guess X, right? Um, but we're going to talk about what the underlying current says of this and how this is this is our time. And when I say our time, you know, it's usually used to, like, motivate the youth or whatever. When I say our time, I mean everybody paying attention. I don't care if you're 15, 55, or 75. This is our time to make a decision. We're either going to move forward. We're going to move forward under a, a new mindset because everything else is just a rerun, a rehash. It's the same thing all over again. And that's what the establishment is doing everything that it can right now to maintain the status quo, which means just continuously doing the same thing, expecting a different answer or a different result, i.e. being insane. And then we'll just kind of finish up today talking about how everything that's happening is what I said would happen for the last 15 years. We're in the decade that I said would be the biggest decade of flux that humankind has ever known, 2020 to 2030. We're three years into it now. It's time to take a look at what that means, what the next seven years look like, and what the hell you better be doing about it. We'll get into all of that in just a minute. Uh, let's go ahead first and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is BulkAmmo.com. Guys, look, um, every time... You start hearing about gun bans, uh, gun restrictions, et cetera. The first thing that disappears isn't guns. It's ammo. There's a reason. A gun without ammo is what? An overpriced club. Get on over to Bulk Ammo today. You'll find all the stuff you could possibly be looking for, common calibers, not so common calibers, et cetera. Great pricing, great inventory, lightning fast shipping, shipping so fast you kind of forget that you ordered it. It's just an amazing company. Been with us now. Like nine years, I think we've been working with Bulk Ammo. Nine or ten years. That's a long time in podcasting, so check them out today. Next up today, ButcherBox.com. I love ButcherBox so much. They're the only company that I do not actually take money from. I actually get paid with a giant box of meat every month. Now, you, for a very reasonable cost, can go get a giant box of meat shipped to your door. Grass-fed beef, pastured pork, pastured poultry, wild-caught seafood. Right now, I actually have some... Uh, sockeye salmon salted in the uh, refrigerator curing while I'm doing this podcast. And when I get done, I'll be uh, slicing it up thin and eating is a uh, sashimi, which I, is just something I really enjoy. Uh, it's just great stuff. So anyway, I don't I don't really am not reading Bill's question. I did see it says off topic. I do have it starred. If it's that far off topic, I don't know how much q and I'm going to do today. It's going to be a pretty long show. Uh, but if you have any questions, as always, make sure that you put them in uh, or you put the first word as question in all caps. I'll be more likely to see it that way. And I will start that. That's, of course, for people watching the live stream. And by the way, if you're like live stream, what? what Live stream. Hey, I do live streams Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday every week uh, for the podcast expert panel. I don't do live because it just doesn't work out that way. 
And if you want to always find the, the most uh, the upcoming newest live stream, just go to tspclive.com. And if you see one that already happened, that just means I haven't updated it for the newest one yet. And if you were on um, Telegram, if you were following me on any social media, et cetera, uh, you'd get a notice every day uh, of the live stream for the day. All right, so let's start off with, and to me, this is kind of uh, – this is kind of crazy that this is not getting more coverage. Honestly, I I read at least the headlines of uh, major news sources all over the world every day, including the ones that you're not supposed to look at because it's propaganda. Here's the clue. It's all propaganda. It's still a window into what's going on. Well, if I didn't happen to, to check out the uh, propaganda site that is RT, I wouldn't even, which is Russia Today, for those that don't know, I wouldn't even have known this was going on. So I, I, for my source link today, I'm using a link at The Guardian, since some people you know, just go, RT, that's not reliable. Well, it, when it comes to like world news and things that happen, it's pretty reliable. And uh, The Guardian has a story on this today as well. So what happened is there's a BRICS summit going on right now. So BRICS is a block of nations that have agreed to work together for trade. Uh, it's not a military alliance. It's nothing like NATO. It's, I guess, in some way similar to like the EU and then the United States getting involved with the EU. It's, it's, it's different than that even, but it's a, it's an economic alliance. And it's, it's been around a long time. The initial thing was the BRIC, B-R-I-C, no South Africa. So Brazil, Russia, India, China. Then quite a while ago, it was the last expansion. It was uh, 13 years, I guess, they let South Africa in. And I've been talking about this again almost since the very beginning of the survival podcast, so 15 years. And people keep saying it's not that big of a deal. Well, what they just did as part of their, their annual summit that they're running in South Africa, by the way, is they admitted new members for the first time since South Africa. And the nations they admitted – for Argentina, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and the UAE. That's the United Arab Emirates. Now, if you can find any coverage in U.S. media, they will tell you it is no big deal. You shouldn't worry about it. These are tiny economies, blah, 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 blah. I want to just tell you what happened. I want you to look at it this way. There's a combined population of those nations of 320 million people. A, a, a population almost equal to the entire United States population of about 330 million people just joined this, this economic alliance. The total number of people in represented by BRICS right now is 3.5 billion. You're getting close to half the population of the planet. What they're not talking about is there are 40 nations. Well, I guess 34 nations now since they let these six in. There's 34 nations that have formally applied, formally applied to become members of the block. And the block is looking for how to continue to bring these other nations in, okay, with, uh, without diluting the value of it to the core five large economies, the original BRICS economies. But it looks like they're, you know, they're, they're creating a pathway for anybody that wants to be part of this alliance to be part of this alliance. So now you're talking about 3.5 billion people. 
Let's talk about four of these countries that people would tend to easily write off, though, which is really stupid when you think about it. There are Iran, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and UAE. Right, uh, That's no big deal. How about they produce 6.5 billion barrels of oil combined annually? 6.5 billion barrels. The United States uses about 6.9. We are the largest economy and the largest user of oil in the world. These, these just these four nations, produce as much oil as we use in a year. Why do you think they ended up going first over nations, you know, in Central Africa or something like that that don't have anywhere near that level of production? Well, that seems like it might be important. On top of it, let's look at uh, one of these other nations that people go, ah, oh, they got all kinds of problems and all. Well, maybe that's why they're looking for economic cohesion and cooperation with other nations in the world, and that would be Argentina. But see, Argentina is an incredibly important strategic alliance partner to China right now. Why? Tierra del Fuego, that's why. What the hell is Tierra del Fuego? Well, it's down, you know, at the very end of South America, down by the Magellan Straits. And right off of its coast is what? The, the famous or infamous Falkland Islands, which are still under British control. Now, this really isn't germane to the subject, but since I mentioned the Falkland Islands, I should note why. Why do the British enact control of the Falkland Islands so many years later, you know, from when it was originally a colony? Why is it important? It's bird shit. Okay? It's bird shit. That's what, they, that's what the, 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 uh, the Falklands are all about is bird shit. The, the, the Chinese aren't real concerned with bird shit. What they're concerned with is control of the Magellan Strait. The, the passage around the tip of South America. And as I've said earlier, they have plans and they're building a naval station down there. And Argentina's probably like, hey, you know, you're going to let these oil guys in. you got to let us in if you want to do this. So there's probably some leverage back and forth there. It's also a very big country. It's actually a very modern country. And despite all of its economic problems, it has tremendous potential. Buenos Aires was literally known as the Paris of South America before the economy collapsed. And by the way, do you know why the economy collapsed in Argentina? It's not all of our fault, but we had a lot to do with it. We had a lot to do with it. So this seems like it's kind of like, don't you think that the mainstream media maybe should be talking about something this big? Because I'm going to tell you right now, this is just beginning and I said there are 40 nations, well, 36, because I let six of them in, that have petitioned to join BRICS. But there's 20 more countries who have expressed interest. Basically, like, we'd like to explore this. So 40 applied, six got in, and 20 are, like, at, like, the first tier of application. You know, you're talking about 70 countries in a, in a world that has with 200 and I think there's 206 or 214. It's one of those kind of number of, of sovereign republics and nations in the whole world. You're talking about more than total than half. You're talking by the time it would be all said and done with, you're looking at around three quarters of a million or three, three quarters of the total population of the planet being part of this trail arts. Why? Because they're pissed at us and they're pissed at our surrogates and our, and our, and our partners. They're pissed at the West, which is basically the United States, Canada, the EU, Britain, and Australia, New Zealand. Like they're pissed 
because we go around telling the rest of the world what to do. And they've had enough with it. And it, this doesn't mean that anybody's nation is better than anybody else's. I, I think that if you lived in more than one place, which most people have never lived outside of their host nation, right, um, you'd realize that everywhere you go, there's trade-offs. There's, there's things that are much worse and things that are better. And, you know, I don't want to live in China. I don't want to live under an authoritarian uh, fascist regime, regime, which honestly, that's that's our country. We're a fascist country. Just China's like, you know, 10x our level of fascism. But there's I mean, if you if you went to especially some of the places outside of like not right in Beijing or something like that, or Wuhan, if you went into the more rural parts of China, I think you'd be shocked at the way people live. I really do. And I think if you went to some of the wealthy parts of China, you'd be shocked at the way that people live as well. You, it wouldn't be what you expect. It wouldn't be the picture that's been painted for you. And in, in any event, all around the world, what, what people generally want is to be left alone and when I say left alone, I mean there's a there's a certain innate desire to be left alone by your own government. But what you really want, you, you do not want other nations telling your government what to do. And we are completely spoiled because we're the ones that tell everybody what to do. So we've never been on the receiving end of it. No living American has ever lived at a time when another nation could tell us what to do. And so we just think that this is the way things are supposed to be. This is a tremendous amount of arrogance. And like I said, um, They've been talking about building this uh, this common BRICS currency, and I believe that they will. I believe that they will, but it's a long way off, and every nation involved realizes, you know, if we don't do this right, we could end up being the party that gives up too much. And now that you're starting to bring these other nations in, these smaller countries, well, they want to know, what, what do I get out of this as well? So what, what Putin has done is say the BRICS nations, which is now, again, this is now 12 countries, not six anymore. Why don't we, until we figure that out, why don't we just all use our own currencies and just ignore the dollar hegemony, the petrodollar, et cetera? Just ignore it. Just like, let's not use it. And right now, the vast majority of world trade is conducted in dollars, even if you are, a, you know, it's two nations that don't use the dollar. The transaction itself is done in the U.S. dollar. This is why we are the global reserve currency. Well, what Putin is saying is, let's say that uh, uh, Argentina, which uses a peso, is doing business with uh, Egypt, which is it the real? I don't remember. The Egyptian dollar, right? And they're saying, you know, even if Russia, China, India, et cetera, aren't involved, why don't you guys just exchange your own currencies? Why are the Argentinians just paying pesos? And then the Egyptians, you can just convert it to your own currency. There's a foreign exchange market. Why do we need the dollar? This is actually really easy to do. Any of these nations can easily set up a payments network between themselves. And this is where I think it's important to understand where this BRICS currency is going. I think that the BRICS currency is going to kind of act like uh, an intermediary stablecoin from the world of uh, cryptocurrency. It'll be gold-backed. That'll give it a certain amount of value. They certainly will hope that people will hold it in reserve. Uh, there's a lot of people say this can't work. 
And the reason they say it can't work, I mean, it's not an unintelligent analysis. It's just an incomplete analysis. Well, if you look at these, you know, the BRICS countries, they don't have enough gold to create a reserve currency that moves the needle at a global scale. Well, just straight up into themselves, total gold, gold reserves. Yeah, you're probably right. But what they actually are talking about is you got to think of it more as a, uh, a new form of global banking where people can deposit gold in return for interest into this, think of it again, as a new BRICS bank. And then the BRICS bank will use currency based on that gold. And I think the way that this can work, and it's probably why it will work, is it would make allowance for Russia to continue to use the ruble in, in their own country and to have their own banking system that controls inflation or deflation and contraction and expansion of the monetary supply. And it would allow China to do the same thing. It would allow uh, Brazil to do the same thing. It would allow Argentina to do the same thing with its peso. But what you could do then is you could create this payments network that is in itself a currency that's just used to avoid the need to constantly make currency exchanges or have the currency exchanges be on each side independent of each other and have the actual transaction go in there. It sounds a little, it's not, but it sounds a little bit like Lightning, which makes, uh, for the Bitcoin network, which makes absolute sense because the Lightning network actually looks a lot like the international banking system, except it's backed by, controlled by Bitcoin and it's decentralized. So that's what I think these guys are going to do. But what they're going to do, and I, I think this, like, they had Putin do it because it's, in his mind anyway, beneficial for him to be a mouthpiece right now that has to be heard by the world in some way outside of this conflict. And I think the fact that he came out and publicly said it, like, there's already something in motion to make it happen. Like, there's already like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do this. It starts to eat away at our global control. And really what we're seeing here, and this is important, we had a couple shows about it this year, the end of the United States empire. I didn't say the end of the United States. Our status as a global empire is, is imploding in front of us right now. And the richest people in the world have a huge stake in it remaining in place. But no matter how much money you have, you can't stop something like this. This is a global shift in power. And any nation that takes the role uh, that the United States has in this at any point in history has eventually fallen apart. Now, some nations went, you know, centuries as empires like the Romans did. But we're in a world today where everything is accelerated, including the rise and fall of empires. And this is the end of an empire. That doesn't mean that the BRICS nations will be the new empire. There may be This may be a world without an empire for the first time in a long time by the time this is all said and done with. The thing is, I think the average person in this country doesn't view the United States as an empire, but at the same time, they defend the concept of empire because they benefit from it, at least in their minds. But as you'll see as we keep going today, um, that's not necessarily the case. Now, you got to be careful going forward here so I don't get smacked in the pee-pee and put back in uh, YouTube jail for using the wrong words or anything, but... Uh, I've been hearing a lot of people, they're going to lock us down again. They're going to bring back masking, mandatory, you know, passports, whatever. 
Here's the thing. I don't think they are. Now, I know some certain hospitals somewhere run by liberal idiots, maybe Hollywood stages or something. I don't know. Certain places may decide they want to bring back all this crap. And I think largely people, unless they have no choice because they work there and they can't get another job, will just avoid these places. Um, but I don't care anyway. I almost hope that all the hype is true, and I almost hope that they try it. And it's because of a very simple reality. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I didn't really do it the first time. Okay? There were a few restaurants I went to and whatever that they were so afraid they were going to get shut down or fined or whatever. And they were doing the stupid shit where you wear the mask from the door and you sit down and you take it off. So, like, I'm talking places where I, like, know the owner or know the manager. So it's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll play your stupid game. And I just put a mask in my pocket, which was always the gators. And so those stupid hospital masks are garbage. Uh, disgusting freaking, in my opinion, just gross. Um, and, 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 you know, okay, you get fine and put it on and sit down and take it off. Okay. That was about it. I have, if you go back through my social media, I've got tons of pictures from all this was going on. Me walking around in great big stores. Everybody's wearing their face diaper, not me. So I'm not doing it. But I'll tell you what, we're not doing it in Texas. They just passed a law. It goes into effect on September the 1st, and it basically codifies existing executive orders by Governor Abbott that pretty much just bans this shit as to be enforced by government at any level. It doesn't do something that some Texas Republicans wanted, which is it doesn't ban a private entity from saying to come in here, you have to do these things. I, I, you know, this is one of those places where I'm a little bit torn. I think this is nonsense and no one should do it, but I am not for telling private businesses what they have to do. I don't think it was okay when the government during the, the, the initial COVIDs told these businesses, you must do this if you want to stay open. I thought that was wrong. Well, it would be, it would be inconsistent for me if that's my stance. The government shouldn't tell a private business how to conduct business. Well, just because I agree with what they're saying doesn't mean that it makes it okay. So I'm kind of glad that that didn't get done in, on some levels. And, and I am at a point now where I, this is how I feel. You do this, you don't get my money. There's plenty of places that will take my money. So I'm just not doing it. But I do believe, I do believe that most of this this uh, fervor about it coming back is is two things. One, it's bullshit. But two, the media is happy to fluff it a little bit because it's a wonderful distraction. We just talked about the entire economic global order shifting right in front of you. And most people are running around shrieking about this stupidity and COVID's 2.30 or whatever it is. Um I think it's a distraction. I think it's like, oh, look at the space aliens. The space aliens are real. And I'll tell you, part of me is becoming more optimistic for the people of my nation and the world as a whole than for a long time. I think if 20 years ago, some of the crap that they've put out about interdimensional aliens and other worldly craft and all this shit, if they did it 20 years ago, people would have been enamored with it. They would sit around their TV going, holy crap, the aliens are here. You know what? The number one reaction that I've seen, the number one reaction I've seen, and I'm talking millennials, maybe even older Gen Z on like TikTok and stuff like that is, we don't give a fuck. 
Yeah, that's nice. What are you going to do about the problems we have? But no, I mean, there's, there's, I've seen dozens of little TikTok videos and shit like, hey, aliens are real. Yeah, we don't give a fuck. And I'm talking the, the, the young people that have been taking it on the chin from the generations like mine and older for a long time about being uninformed and idiotic. Well, they're not. They're not. Right? This is nonsense. This is not. So I want you to think about this. I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I really want you to think about this. The idea is that the aliens came here and they crashed. All right? They crashed. And they're flying around at night with blinking lights on. So interdimensional uh, aliens who traveled from other star systems, maybe in other galaxies, they pull off faster than light travel, folding the fabric of space-time itself to come evaluate humanity for whatever reason. Yeah? Okay. No stealth technology. ...and turn their lights on. And occasionally even though they can fold the fabric of space-time and travel across the universe, can't handle what pilots in 707s and 737s and 727s do every day, navigating a crash in, 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 in deserts. And Come on. Come on. It's 2023, and normies tell you that aliens are real, and conspiracy theorists tell you that they're not. That's the society we live in today, and that's encouraging. It's encouraging that these people have pushed this, and they pushed it hard. They started bleeding it out a little at a time about two years ago is where it kind of started, little bits of it. And now they're having congressional hearings, and they're like, this is real. And the average person, right, the average person response to this is, yeah, we don't give a fuck. That is incredibly encouraging to me. It really is. Um, but, again, I don't care. I don't care about, you know, Manu lockdowns or whatever, because I'm not doing it. And uh, if you're in a live feed right now and you feel like I do about it, like true or not, I'm not doing it. I want you to do something for me because I think it'll make everybody feel better. If you're in a live stream and you're not going to do it, type I will not comply into the live stream comments right now and let everybody know where you stand. And let's see how many people do that while we go to the next story, because Unlike the space aliens, this is real. Um, India just landed a uh, remote craft on the lunar surface. And it's pretty freaking amazing that they were able to do it. They, they, and they did it on the South Pole. We haven't done this. China hasn't done this. The Russians tried and crashed a couple of craft trying to do it, and I will not comply. It's just coming in like crazy for those on the audio, like swarms of it. People are abbreviating it now, you know, uh, WNC. I like that. Maybe we can make a T-shirt out of that. I will not comply. Uh, but anyway, the, 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 uh, the, the nation of India has put a spacecraft on the south pole of the moon. Let's talk a little bit about why this is more difficult. Basically, your remote control flying a spacecraft into a very small area and you're in a very low gravity situation, which, given the delay in things, makes things very, very difficult. And up until now, we have always successfully landed, whether it's humans or just uh, modules, we've landed them 
uh, pretty much about the middle of the moon. Uh, very famously, the Sea of Tranquility would be one place. So the moon is just pockmarked with all this damage from billions of years of shit slamming into it because it, it has no real atmosphere. It has no protection. Uh, it's just taking a beating over, what, four and a half billion years. And so it's very rugged. Like if you land at the edge of a crater with a spacecraft, you have a problem. right? So you got rubble everywhere and what have you. Well, the southern pole is riddled with this shit. So it's been very challenging to do. But I think to truly appreciate what's going on with this in a shift in world order. So we just talked about BRICS and this economic block becoming one of the biggest economic blocks that's ever been put together and having another 40 nations that want to get into it. Well, one of the core nations is India. And probably the second most advanced nation in the world for space exploration is China. And so I don't see, like I said, this is not a military alliance, but the interest in the moon is economic. This is something else the TV will not tell you. The interest in the moon is economic, and it's for many reasons. But all of this revolves around the southern pole of the moon. We thought there was no water on the moon for a long time, and then not so long ago we figured out, hey, there's actually a shitload of ice Water ice on the southern pole of the moon. So if we can establish a colony there, we can get water. Now, you can understand how this is important. Water's heavy. Water's extremely heavy. And weight is everything in space uh, exploration when it comes to getting out of the gravity well of the Earth. I want you to think about when they send up a capsule with a couple dudes in it to the space station or go to the moon or whatever, or just satellites, how small the payload really is, the part that actually has to go to space and how big the rockets are. That's because we have what's called a gravity well. In other words, it's very freaking heavy shit that you have to move up out of our atmosphere. Well, the moon doesn't have that. The moon has a very, very small gravitational pull, and it's very easy and requires very little energy to get off the moon. Well, do you know what you what you what you use to fuel rockets? You use oxygen and hydrogen. Where do you get oxygen and hydrogen from? Water. So the water's not just so humans can live, right? Because you can take a ton of food with you and feed people for a long time if it's all dehydrated. Water is the weight thing. So now we got water. We can keep people alive. We can grow food with things like hydroponics. And we can make sure that people can eat because we can add water to it. And we can split it into its core elements through an industrial process that we very well know how to do and make rocket fuel. And we can take it up off the moon. Now, there's a thing called Lagrange Point, And there's several of them. And these are like gravitational eddies. And they've been talking about building space colonies, basically giant space stations that make the, the International Space Station look like a tinker toy at these Lagrange points and having ships be able to dock at them, both coming from the moon and doing exploration out to Mars. Okay, this is actually a very small couple areas, the South Pole of the moon and these Lagrange points. And there's really two of the Lagrange points that really work for doing this. So you have, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, exploring Mars and all and terraforming Mars, yeah, that's a long game. There's a shorter game here. 
you know, we've heard about we're going to mine asteroids and shit like that since I was a little kid. I mean, when I was a little, little kid, I'm talking like six years old, I used to watch Mr. Rogers and shit, and he would have astronauts come on. I dreamed about growing up and being an astronaut and sitting my grandfather's lazy boy and drink Tang and think I was going to be an astronaut because I drank Tang. That's how long we've been talking about mining asteroids. It's written into things like Star Wars and Star Trek and other sci-fi, right? So you you figure, okay, great, like, you know. Um, but there's, there is something to be mined on the moon. And it is literally by weight the most valuable substance known to man right now. It's an isotope of helium. It's called helium-3. And it is an incredible abundance on the moon, but it's still a very low percentage of, let's say, lunar dust. It's basically the whole moon is coated in helium-3. Well, if you had enough helium-3, you know, to the, you, know you fill a container of helium-3, a person, uh, you know, smaller than a human being, you, could, you can power Dallas-Fort Worth with it for a year. 6.2 million people's energy requirements for a year. Look it up if you doubt me. Look it up if you doubt me. That's And it is it is the cleanest energy that we can create relative to the amount of input and the output. And so if you have control of this, we will be able to basically have robotic implements go out and mine the helium-3 and humans seeing to the equipment that's doing the work. Because the, the equipment won't die from the radiation. That's the other thing that's important about the South Pole. We have the ability to build housing inside the craters to protect people. Because even with suits and everything, the radiation levels are so high that people just can't have continued exposure out on the surface. So that we have these little, like little pockets. And, you know, you think of it, the South Pole being the bottom and being up inside. Well, think of it if it was the North Pole. So your head gets around it. There is gravity, Right. So we can have our structures and our housing inside these, these craters. And then the moon rotates, yeah? We think of the dark side of the moon. That's just because we don't see it. It doesn't mean that there's never any sun on there. It does rotate. And if you, our primary energy source will be on the moon initially anyway, is solar panels. So we can ring these craters with solar panels and some energy is being generated all the time. Are you starting to see how critical this is? You have the entire linchpin to exploration beyond our planet and colonization of Mars. But more importantly, you have, and I, I believe, honestly, I, this has nothing to do with whether, um, whether Elon is being honest or not. But I believe our government is not that interested in colonizing Mars. I think there's a lot of hype in that. It's a good story to sell people. And why did we go to the moon? Why did we build a space program in the 1950s and 60s in the first place? Was it because we truly were like, we got to explore space? Or did we do it to develop ICBM technology so we could deliver nuclear weapons across the world? So we, you take this noble pursuit and you use it for something not quite as noble. Well, I think economic control of the long-term energy supply of humanity, and whether it works or not doesn't matter, that's what people believe it to be right now, is really what this is all about at this point. So anyway, with that, let's move on. But I don't you think maybe somebody 
if they actually cared about what was really going on, should have told you that. Doesn't that sound like something that's important? I mean, why are you why are you hearing about the biggest power struggle in humanity's future from a redneck hippie duck farmer instead of the people that actually claim to care what's really going on? Because they lie. That's why we all know that. Now, moving on, I want to talk about what's being used. And I saw used on the debate stage last night. I did not watch the entire debate. It was a clown show like I expected. There's too many people there. We'll talk about that in a second. But the when Vivek Ramaswamy dared insinuate that maybe we should stop supporting Ukraine and maybe we should avoid foreign wars and maybe we should better worry about defending our own borders. Okay? When he dared do that, well, then everybody went nuts. Fat-ass Christie went nuts. Even the Santos uh, kind of towed the establishment line with like a middle point of like, I would make Europe do more. That doesn't end the war. That doesn't stop this murder. Um, but uh, uh, Pence, the robot, I mean, I'm just waiting for Pence to pull his lizard mask off at this point. The guy looks like a lizard to me. Uh, Pence and, and uh, Fat-ass Christie both invoked this idea. We have to fight them there so we don't fight them here. Anybody here remember hearing that before? Right? Remember, isn't that what they told us about Iraq and Afghanistan? And we lost both of those conflicts, okay? By any measure of the means. If you look at the state of things in Iraq today and what control the United States has in Iraq, we lost. And if you look at Afghanistan, we really lost. And if we really had to fight them there so they didn't come here, then losing would be untenable. Yeah? Losing would. So you know it was a lie. You know, I mean, they had people like I remember when the whole thing started up, like there were like old ladies afraid there was like an al-Qaeda terrorist hiding under their bed or in their closet or some shit. Um, they had people so lathered up about it. We have fight them over there. So we have but those of you that are a little older, especially older than me, I remember learning about it. I bet you, if you're 70, you remember hearing something like this, that little thing called the Vietnam War. Isn't that exactly what they said about we have to fight? If we do not stand up to communism in Vietnam, the whole of the East will fall under a new iron curtain. It was General Westmoreland, right, that made that case of the American people. We have to fight the commies over there. Okay, have you seen a map of Vietnam lately? Have you seen a map of Vietnam lately? When you look at it, do you see North Vietnam and South Vietnam, or is it just one big, long country called Vietnam? So we lost the Vietnam War. I know there's a lot of very patriotic people and uh, people that have Vietnam veterans in their life and all, and that really bends their freaking nose sideways when you say the United States lost the Vietnam War. Well, what was the objective of the Vietnam War? The objective of the Vietnam War was to stand up the South Vietnamese troops, provide them whatever we needed to open checkbook and eventually put U.S. boots on the ground with the intent of preserving the sovereignty of South Vietnam. That nation is gone and has been for about 50 years. We lost and we ran home with our tail between our legs with a bullshit story when we did it. 
We promised the South Vietnamese government if the shit started back up, we'd bring the bombers back. We were never going to. We were lied into and out of the war. And the whole idea that if Vietnam became communist, it was a threat to the United States, was a lie. It was a lie. It was a lie. One more time. If you can't see it was a lie now, then I don't know that I can help you. I, I don't think you'd still be listening if you couldn't see it. Like, you'd be pissed off and gone by now. And in some ways, it's the story of the Korean conflict as well. We lost in Korea. People like to call it a tie. It's not a tie. If we had done what we were supposed to do in Korea, which was push the North Koreans back across the, the parallel and reestablish things as they were, you could have called it a tie. You could have even called it a victory. But instead... We decided it would be a good idea to go ahead and take over the whole Korean peninsula. We should have probably studied shit like the history of Japan invading Korea, and they thought it was just a, a walk in the park on their way to invading China and how, how much the shit that went back in like the 1200s to understand the place that we were jacking around in. But no, we went in there and screwed everything up, and we, we chased the, the North Korean forces all the way to the Yellow River. In wintertime, when it froze, and human waves of Chinese soldiers came across the river and beat the shit out of us for three years, and to the point where we all compromised and went back to the way things were. That is not a tie. Our objective became take over the entire Korean Peninsula, and we failed. We just didn't fail as bad as we later failed in Vietnam. We have failed, and we have been led into every war we have failed at, and we have not won a war since World War II because I consider the first Gulf War a big live-fire exercise, a bunch of bullies picking on some weak-ass countries that resulted in the second Gulf War, which we lost. And we've been marched into these things with this idea that these little places, these little countries all over the world, if we don't go there, they'll come here. Like Vladimir Putin's going to march into friggin' L.A. I think actually, I think it was fat-ass Christie or Pence last night that actually said L.A. We'd be fighting them in California. Yeah. Are we going to grow up? And I don't mean our government, because our government is about control. I mean the people of this country. Are we ever going to grow up and say, okay, you've, you've told me this story, right? You've told me this same story for over 70 years. It's never worked out the way that you've said once, and we've lost everything we've touched. And everything we've touched is worse now than it was before we touched it. How about we stop touching things for a little while? I think there's a potential for that to happen. And I'm seeing it in the rise of populism that I want to get to as we conclude today. Before I want to talk about last night's GOP debate and why certain people were there that I don't think should have been there. Um, I also did listen to a little bit of Tucker Carlson interviewing the Orange Man, and he said they shouldn't be there either. But his reasons were more, I don't like them and they're assholes. Well, I agree, I don't like them and they're assholes too. But when you look at the polling numbers for people like Mike Pence and Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson and that dude from North Dakota, I can't even remember his name. That's how unmemorable he was. And even Nikki Haley, who some pundits are claiming won the debate last night, which just shows you how in denial of reality they are. They don't have any business being in a primetime debate. You can't have an effective debate with eight people. And the moderators at Fox are incompetent, so it makes it even worse. 
And you have the audience booing when people are using their time to respond. You have people talking over each other. It's all a freaking dog and pony show gimmick. And that's why people like Chris Christie are there. They had their seat bought by donors. Okay, they donated money to fat ass Chris Christie, who, by the way, he keeps touting his results in New Jersey. I'm a Republican that won in New Jersey and we did this and this and this and this and we were so great. And you know what Chris Christie's approval rating across the board, Democrats and Republicans combined was in New Jersey at the end of his administration. Eight percent. Eight, people are dogging Biden for being in the 30s, and I have a hard time understanding how it's as high as the 30s. But the 30s percentile of approval is bad for a politician. Eight percent. I don't know if there's ever been a politician at eight percent approval ever. I doubt Nixon, the day before he resigned, was at eight percent approval. I doubt it. Very seriously. So why? But okay, he's. Does anybody here, does 160-odd people in, in on YouTube right now, does anybody here believe that there is any chance in hell under the most extreme weirdness for Chris Christie to win the nomination, let alone be president of the United States right now? I bet not one person says yes. Not one, because you're not stupid. People that listen to the show generally are smart. Even if they don't agree with me, they're not stupid if you, if you challenge yourself with content like this. So th what about Pence? And if there was a chance, the day he told Tucker Carlson, when Tucker said, hey, you're worried about more tanks for Ukraine, okay, and there's not a city in the United States today that's not worse off than it was, you know, a few years ago. And Pence said, that's not my problem. Or that's not what I'm, I'm not concerned about that. That's not my concern. That's what he said. Not my concern. Like any chance just died. And that whole interview was just like, he just looked like a freak the entire time. No chance. So I'm just going to stick to those two because there's, this applies to Hutchinson as well. So why would you, why would you as a wealthy donor give fat ass Christie or lizard person Mike Pence Money, when you know they're not going to win, you know they have no chance, none. They also both, I bring them up because one thing that they will do sometimes is they'll back people in the primaries because they believe this person, well, they're not going to win, but they're going to show well, and they're going to end up being vice president or a member of the cabinet or something like this. Well, understand something about Chris. Chris Christie is angry He's a, is an angry, fat-ass troll at the orange man because he was a loose ally to Trump in the 2016 election. And he thought he was going to get a cabinet position, which Trump didn't give him, because Trump, for all the mistakes he made, recognized Chris Christie for what he was and said, no, I'm not giving this guy a job. That's, that's why Ramaswamy last night told him, you know, you talk about vengeance and whatever. Your whole campaign is based on that. That's the only reason you're here. So he's not getting a job. Does anybody here think if the orange man, who is like 99.9% .9 likely to get the nomination, if he's sitting in federal prison, he's still going to get the nomination, he still might win. Do you think there's any way in hell the orange man gives Vice President Pence his old job back or any, any role at all in the government? Well, the answer is no. 
The answer is no. So why would you spend good money on a known loser? Because you're controlling the narrative of the whole thing. The only purpose they had was to do what they did last night, to be clowns in the car and talk over people. That's what all the millions of their super PACs were spent for, for them to get up there and make sure that someone like Vivek Ramaswamy doesn't strike a chord with the American people. And I think overall they failed, but they did they did mitigate the damage. There are a lot of things he was trying to say that no one heard. And if you've listened to this dude talk, I don't know what kind of president he would be. But when I listened to his interview with Tucker Carlson, this is what I told my wife. There has never been a, a presidential candidate in my lifetime is well informed on as many things. And if you watch that interview, I think it's totally worth watching, by the way. Uh, you see Tucker by about halfway through this interview. He's nearly speechless and he's in awe. And my wife goes, why is he that enamored? And I said, well, I'll tell you why. Everything he's hearing, he's heard other people say before. He's never heard one person able to cover all these things so well before. And even if you do not like, right, even if you do not like Vivek, and you do not align with his positions, okay? Even if you do not align with his positions, you cannot say he's not informed and not well-spoken and doesn't have an actual plan that makes sense, even if you disagree with it. And someone's saying, Vivek, uh, where is it? Sean says, he is ignorant of climate change. Big mistake. No, he's calling it what it is, dude. It's a scam. It's a scam. And whether it is or isn't, you're not going to support modern society anytime soon without fossil fuels, so let's stop pretending that we are. Now, see, that bothers people. That bothers people. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. It's a hoax. I'm sorry, and I'm not saying that we don't cause any alteration of the climate or that we're not polluting the planet. I'm not saying that. But this idea that we are literally controlling the climate is arrogance at infinitum. And anybody who's going to make a solution that matters in the world has got to tell you that. And I'm hoping that we can get past this illusion. It is an absolute scam. And that's what he actually said right there with Jeff saying climate agenda is a scam. The agenda is the scam. The agenda is the scam. Not that there's nothing to the concept that, you know, we could do a lot better with our care of the planet. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the agenda is a scam. And it is. And if you can't see that yet, your eyes are still closed. You're still a puppy and you haven't stopped sucking mommy's tit and you haven't opened your eyes. And I don't care who you are. I'm sorry if you can't see that. I'm sorry if you can't see that. Bonnie's saying it's not you. It's CO2 that drives the climate. And Bonnie is correct. Bonnie is correct. Now, moving on from there, there is a rise in populism in the, in the country. And it explains some situations that people, I don't think, fully understand what's happening yet. And this isn't something that happens overnight, like click and we're just there. This is something that people have to very slowly come to, very slowly come to across time. And it takes a critical mass to cause a shift to a true populist society. In other words, what a really what a populist society is saying is, hey, why don't we take care of ourselves? 
That's what, like, they've made populism a bad thing, but that's what populism really is. Hey, you know what we should do? We should fix our own shit. We shouldn't be worried about, and by the way, last night, one of the terms that set uh, fat-ass Christie off and set off Pence, too, was that what's going on with Ukraine and Russia is a border dispute. If it's not a border dispute, what is it? It's a dispute over a border, and it does. we do not have a vital U.S. interest there. But we do have a vital U.S. interest in the fact that we have people dying of drugs like fentanyl laying in the streets of south side of Chicago and people shooting each other and killing each other in the streets. Well, people blather on about gun control, and 99% of the guns used to do this shit are illegal anyway. They're in the hands of people that are felons already, and they're not supposed to have a gun, and we have prosecutors that won't do their job. And populism starts to say, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How is all this going on here? How can I not afford the groceries I could afford to? I make more money, and I can't afford the food that I could afford two years ago. Maybe y'all need to fix this shit. And this is where people that seem very divergent have mass support for the same reason. This is why Vivek Ramaswamy is, is really making an impact right now. Now, I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, this is not Jack Spirico becoming politically active and saying he's our next president. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the orange man will win the, the GOP nomination. Vivek is playing his cards very cunningly. And he might end up being the orange man's pick for VP. That would be an interesting little swing right there. But Trump and Vivek are popular for the exact same reasons. They have many of the same positions, many of the same positions. Vivek is smart enough to not go pissing everybody off and talking shit about everybody, you know, and not making up a freaking juvenile nickname for everybody. But the, the driving force is the same. Now, um, I'm going to give you another name, and you're going to go, this guy's nothing like those two. And he's not. But Bernie Sanders. Yes, it was the young, dumb socialist that backed Bernie in the primaries, the Democrat clown show primaries. But it was the same force, populism. I don't trust the establishment. And even though Bernie is establishment as shit, they did a great job of branding him as anti-establishment. And in a few places, like hating the banks as a whole, he is. And all of this is driven by the same thing. And that is that America's people are starting to ask, well, what about us? We've been told we have to, we have to fight them over there instead of over here for so long. And we're starting to look around and saying, look, our, our streets are crumbling. Our bridges are crumbling. You can't go to like a big place or a small place and not, if you look for it, see drugs being sold on our streets. If you go to any Democrat-run city right now, there are homeless people in the streets. And some of them, they're shitting in the streets. They're shooting up in the streets. There's places, I've seen pictures in like in, in California and Oregon where there's literally the police station and the homeless are in camp, like the cops have to walk through the homeless to get into the police station. And there are people that are starting to say, wait a minute, this isn't okay. This is not okay. We have kids that like they're, they're begging for someone to forgive their student loans. They're saddled with all this debt and they're told there's no, that, you know, we can't do the student loan forgiveness. There's not enough money. And I don't, I mean, I just put out my solution to that, which is zero interest loans, everything gets converted, 
whatever you paid in, you get credit for up till now. And any loan going forward, we do that. You have to basically, when you go to go to college, you have to be academically acceptable enough to get a loan. And then your degree has to be something that we give you as much money as we think you're going to be able to pay back. Right. So I'm not saying we should forgive these loans, but I'm putting myself right now. I'm 24 years old. I have a degree. I can't find a job in my field of study that pays good anyway. And I don't have a degree in like feminist bitterness studies or something. I have a you know a, B, a, a business administration degree or something like that. Something I should be able to find a job for. And you're telling me you can't afford this. And you're sending billions of dollars all around the world, not just Ukraine, all this foreign aid everywhere. We're, we, we have our fingers stuck in every pie everywhere. And there's no money for me. That's what drives populism. And the, the problem with it is everybody ends up in these camps. And they don't realize the commonality of the enemy. The parasitic class is the enemy. And you might wonder, who keeps voting for this shit on the left? Like, don't they understand what their policies are? you got to understand a shitload of the Democrat base never see in person the problems these policies create. They're wealthy, affluent people that live in gated communities, metaphorically or for real. And they, you know, they live in San Francisco, but they don't go to downtown San Francisco. They don't know what's going on there. They think it's all a ploy. But when people start to actually see it and feel it, they start to say, wait a minute. And you have these small town people all over the country that, you know, for all the, and I'm going to talk about the songs in a minute for you. I'll try that in a small town. It's not that they're without their problems. They just tend to help each other more. But meth is everywhere. Okay. Heroin is everywhere. And now fentanyl as a byproduct is everywhere in small town America, especially in the Northeast and in Appalachia. And if we look at it, how did that happen? It wasn't just a drug dealer thing that made it happen. The freaking government of the United States cleared the way for Purdue Pharma with oxycodone to create addicts all over the place and all the problems that go with that level of addiction by putting essentially heroin in a pill. And they went out and sold it with freaking the Purdue Barbies, right? These, these hot chick pharmaceutical representatives. And they literally had a stuffed animal pill that they would give away to promote this pain management. And they created this addiction everywhere. And then they made it very hard for those people to get the medication that they made them addicted to. And then those people went to the streets. That created a demand. And then that cascaded. And we're still dealing with fallout from oxycodone. That's where I'm not saying every drug addict you can attribute to that. I'm saying the problem is a macro. So if you're a person and you want you begin to understand this, you're like, why don't we fix shit? And that's why these songs like Try That in a Small Town, Rich Men North of Richmond, Aaron Lewis's Am I the Only One? That's why these songs have taken off. That's why these songs have taken off. And I want to do something for you right now. I want to play you a, uh, a little bit of a cover. And I don't know who this girl is. Um, it's uh, Internet Sophie. And she's a Bitcoiner. This has a Bitcoin angle to it in the video anyway. But her voice is fantastic. And this is a uh, a cover of this song, and it's done in a completely different tempo and key and in a completely different style. 
And I think some people will actually prefer this version and some will prefer the original, like covers always are. But I wanted to play this for you. And then I want to talk about what's driving this and what's driving the blowback against it. Why the left hates it so much. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay. So I can sit out here and waste my life away. Drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gone to for people like me and people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is living in the new world with an old soul. Richmond or the Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have total control. Want to know what you think, want to know what you do, and they don't think you know, but I know that you do, cause your dollar ain't shit, and it's tax to no end, cause of Richmond, Lord of Richmond. Oh, I wish politicians. Look out for miners and not just miners in an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat. And the OB's milk and welfare. But God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Young men putting themselves six feet in the ground, cause all this country does is keep kicking them down lord it's a damn shame what the world's gone to for people like me and people like you wish i could just wake up and it not be true but it is all it is living in the new world with an old soul These rich men or the Richmond Lord knows they all just want to have total control Want to know what you think Want to know what you do And they don't think you know But I know that you do Cause your dollar ain't shit And it's tax to no end Cause of rich men North of rich men And for those watching the video, like I said, it does have kind of a, a Bitcoin angle to it. Um, and I'm not going to go there today other than to say, if you want to fight back against people that control you with money, you need your own money. I want to stick to the populist nature of that. And I got to say, if that doesn't hit you a little bit, check your pulse, check your pulse. 
I think Oliver Anthony wrote an amazing song that tapped into the way people are feeling. And she made you feel it even more. That's how I feel. I like both of them. Um, and I think, I think this is the undertow in society today. People are starting to wake up. And God, I hope they are. Because this is our time. Because if we don't stop this now, and it, it can't be stopped with voting, that's just a piece of it that will play out however it will. But if we keep this mindset of, like, I want you to think about it. There hasn't been an election with a choice in it other than the Trump election, which I don't know was the best choice, but at least it was a choice forever. Look at, look at like Bush Gore. People made like it was such a huge deal. If Al Gore would have won, it wouldn't have been much different. Oh, we would have all been like, okay, there's been plenty of people from the Democrat side that believe in climate change since then that ran the country, you know, this guy Obama. And, and all the harsh, like, it was just, it was all the concept of, you can pick whichever establishment person you wish for. And they, they, they always have the same arguments. They always claim they're going to solve the same thing, and they never do. Now, we have somebody in the chat here who keeps trying to make the case that this is what capitalism does. This is not capitalism. This is fascism. Capitalism is a free market. Capitalism is a free market. We do not have a free market. When you cannot have capitalism and a central banking system that operates on fractional reserve. As soon as you go to that and you have a private banking system protected with fiat above by a federal government, there is no capitalism. There's a lot of things that sort of kind of look like capitalism because you have private ownership of companies and some level of private control of capital. But that's not capitalism. That's not a free market. That's not a free market. No, you can't even have free. You can't even have money be non-bias. You can't have capitalism. When you have an entity that can take wealth from you without actually taking your property or your money through inflation, you don't have capitalism. When you have companies that are protected by government, when you have a revolving door, Sean, when you have a revolving door between industry and government, you do not have capitalism. In a capitalist system, if a company fucked up, they wouldn't get a bailout. You have fascism. And I'll, I'll give you a little wake-up call, all of you that don't get this yet. They're in a modern nation that's not on some level right now fascist. Everybody keeps talking about communist China, communist China. China abandoned communism a long time ago. They just didn't let go of authoritarianism. Okay, China is the most successful state there is in the history of the world at employing a fascist model of government. And up until China did that shift, it was us. We've been far more successful with fascism than Germany ever was. And one of the biggest things that they deceive people with is you say fascist and people see swastikas in concentration camps. That's what a fascist state did 
It is not what fascism is. Fascism is an economic authoritarian system that combines public and private partnerships in a way that uses the divisions to the, between the classes of people to the advantage of industry and the state. And you tell me we have capitalism after I give you that definition of fascism. I challenge you to look up the textbook definition of fascism and show me that what I just said isn't true, Sean or anybody else. And then tell me what we have as a capitalist system. There's nothing about this that's capitalist. And it doesn't even matter because the words, all of the words, mean absolutely nothing anymore when the people's minds have been so confounded that they use words and they don't know what the word means and they know they don't know what the word means, but they're so stupid that they use the words anyway and do it in a way that makes them sound smart. And when I say stupid, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about low IQs. I'm talking about Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity. We have multiple generations right now that have been educated into stupid. But I think they're starting to wake up. I think you can only pull this with people for so long before they start to go, wait a minute. The thing is, we've been very close to waking up many times in the past, and they've always put us back to sleep. But until we stop this shit where some guy is my enemy because he's doing better than me economically, we're going to stay in the matrix. You're not going to pull the tube out of your neck. Until we wake up past that, we can't get anywhere. As long as we're blaming someone because they're black or brown or white or male or female or anything, we don't understand it. Remember what I said earlier this week. The freaking enemy is the parasite class. The parasite class. And the real parasites are the government, okay, The government, and I don't mean every government employee. I mean the people that are controlling things, pulling the switches, and the people that control them. The bankers are the ultimate parasitic class in the world. You, even people like you look at people like uh, Klaus Schwab and whatever. Those people couldn't do dick f all in the world without the parasitic bankers behind them. Amy says oligarchy question mark. Yes, it's an oligarch. It's an oligarchy. The United States is an oligarchy. But what form of oligarchy do we have? We're a fascist oligarchy. An oligarchy is ruled by the wealthy. But a, a, a flat oligarchy would be more of, let's say, a capitalist society without the government involved, where oligarchs paid for influence directly. So you'd actually have a, have a relationship with the people that were supporting you as a particular oligarch. That was actually far closer to the way but the government was involved that ancient Rome was. The Senate was an oligarchy in ancient Rome. And as dishonest as it was, it makes they're like choir boys compared to our legislature in the United States today. Yeah. Everything is shifting. We have technology developing at such a rate at this current time that if we don't wake up by the year 2030, the globalists will have accomplished everything that they want to accomplish. There won't be a single agenda that wasn't taken care of. I've had people recently asking me a lot about Agenda 2030. Agenda 2030 is one of the hardest things in the world to fight. And the reason it's hard to fight is it's, it's decentralized. So as a central authority behind it, 
but the actions are decentralized. Instead of passing federal regulations to advance Agenda 2030, they've gone into individual cities, towns, and counties. They created these uniform codes, and they've got them into all these rural counties that have no need of them. It's very difficult to extricate from. That's a piece of it. All the stuff with AI, central bank digital currencies, we're either going to decide And the most important thing the United States can do as a nation is stop fucking with the rest of the world. We cannot fix our problems and be the world police force, which is the exact opposite of the message that was being given by the clown show last night at the GOP debates. Like, we can win in Ukraine and fight them there so we don't fight them here, and we can fix America too. But you haven't. And that's for God's sakes, I want America to wake up and realize they've been promising to fix these problems since your grandfather was shitting his pants in a diaper, and they haven't. They haven't. And we are the wealthiest country that has ever existed, and we squander our wealth in stupid on a daily basis. And so we have to decide, I'm You know what I said earlier about lockdowns and masks, and you're like, I will not comply? You have to start thinking that way about way more than just that. Don't give your energy. Don't give your soul. Don't give your life force. Do not give your effort to propping up the machine that is literally enslaving you, because that's what most people do. Get politically active. What, inside the puppet show? Now, if we want to get a whole shit ton of Ramaswamis and what have you all over the country at every level, great. I have no faith in that. I believe in individual action. I believe in individual action. We need to, like, why do you think I teach so much about entrepreneurship? You want to get people opposed to government? Get them running their own business. Very few people are actually successful small entrepreneurs and pro-government. Because real quick, it starts to become evident what's going on. When you're paying that matching uh, Social Security and you realize I could be a multimillionaire by the time I'm 50, but I'm going to live below the poverty line at 65 on this same money invested, it starts to, it's, it's not just a little bit that came out of your check. You start to see the total, and you work for everything you have. There's also something that entrepreneurs have that employees don't. Freedom. Freedom. You know how, you're like, Jack, how did you just not participate? Well, I just didn't. In the COVID lockdown, I just went where I wanted, did what I wanted. No, you know, pokes in the arm for me. I'm not going to fire myself. Go screw. What well, must be nice? It is. Why don't you start building it for yourself, at least on some level? We've got to take control of our lives before we can even think about taking control of our country. I mean, do you understand how many people talk about we'll take it back? You can't even run your backyard and you're going to take back the country. People that can't start a lawnmower think they're going to start a revolution. No. No. This is to finish, though. Why do you think they hate songs like Richmond North of Richmond? I mean, it's really easy to divide it between, you know, the right and the left and, and insinuate that the right loves it and the left hates it. And I'm sure, you know, when it comes to the elites and the upper echelons, there's a divide there. But actually, if it was just a left-right thing, they wouldn't hate it so much. 
No, they hate that because the average person that's starting to wake up goes, you know what? This this ginger dude from Virginia has a point. It strikes chord. If when I played the cover song version of it, if you were like, you started to feel something, that's what they're afraid of. The way you keep people to sleep is you numb them. Why do you think that for all the talk of the war on drugs and everything, they've basically done everything they can to make sure Americans are as addicted to as many substances as possible, legal and illegal both. You know what the number one damaging substance that people are addicted to in the country today? It's not an illegal drug, and it's not alcohol, though alcohol is a problem for a lot of people. But the most universally addictive substance doing the most damage and thereby exhorting the most control over the people today by making them lethargic and easy to control is sugar. There it is. Builder, Lots of people got it. 229 Mick got it. Dan got it. Builder of Castles got it. Um, Kay Atkins got it, right? It's sugar. It's sugar. People say welfare on the television. Oh, sugar. It's sugar. Sugar's universal. People not on welfare addicted to sugar. People on welfare addicted to sugar. Number one health threat in the United States today, as far as per capita and growth and all the other peripheral problems like cardio problems, kidney problems, is just diabetes. What's it driven by? Sugar. And if you don't think it's addictive, um, need to wake up, need to grow up. Of course, it's addictive. Any substance with a psychoactive and, and biochemical mechanism like sugar has is addictive. It's addictive. It's absolutely addictive. And so they want you addicted to sugar. And sugar, remember, is not just white powder. All carbohydrates, infinity, are sugars. Sugar, alcohol, drugs, legal and illegal both. Information consumption is an addiction. If you have an addicted population, you have a population of zombies that are easy to control. Plain and simple. That's the truth. Like it, don't like it, I don't care. And that's why they do it. That's why they do it. So it's a good time to end today. And I got something for the item of the day today that will help you reduce your consumption of sugar. And I didn't plan it that way. It just worked out that way. Um, The Vegetti Spiral Vegetable Slicer. So what this does is it takes things like, in this case, in this picture of zucchini here, um, I do the trombuccino squashes when they're green or when they're orange. You can do it with a carrot. You can do daikon radish. It's about anything that will fit in this thing. It's like a big pencil sharpener. It will turn into vegetable noodles, and they're delicious to cook with. Right? It's delicious to cook with, and it reduces sugar content. Well, the way I found this thing, I actually didn't get mine on Amazon. I found it like on one of those, like you know, where you have like the uh, clamshell packaging and a, a, like accessories at a grocery store. I'm like, I'll give it a try because it was like ten bucks. And I wanted a spiralizer, which is the thing is that you got to crank and it makes the you know the zucchini noodles and stuff zoodles, and. They're not that expensive. They're like 25 bucks. And the only reason I never got one is because they're so damn big. And I'm like, I don't want another big honking thing in my kitchen. So I saw this thing. It was 10 bucks. I picked one up. It works great. Just let me tell you something. Don't try to clean it out with your finger. It'll cut the shit out of you if you stick your finger in there. Ask me how I know because I thought I could get that one little piece out 
without, yeah, no, I was wrong. It hurt. And it's, it's a kind of cut. It's not like a razor blade cut either. It's a jagged, nasty little cut. Um, but it's a great tool. They're about $10 and it will help you live a healthier and more delicious lifestyle. And I'm going to tell you guys, we're probably, I had, I did a show on cooking not long ago. We'll probably go into that again. Um, I'm telling you, um, I'm telling you, it's one of the biggest things that you can do to do what we were talking about today, which is take control of your life back, is to start controlling the food that you eat. One of the biggest mechanisms of control that they use is the health care industry. Guys, I know this is hard to believe. I have not been to a doctor in 25 years. Well, when I hurt my ankle, so acute injury, I went to the doctor. That's it. The last 25 years, I've been to a doctor once. Once. And that was just to see, do I need to get a CAT scan? That's all that was. It was a five-minute in-and-out thing. I haven't been on any prescription medication since I was in the Army, and I got out of the Army in 1993. And I haven't even, until the last five years, really paid attention the way I should to what I'm eating. And today I think I'm healthier than I've probably been since I was in the Army, right? Um, start controlling what you eat. And, you know, the other thing that does, it puts money back in your pocket. They control you economically. They control you with health. They control you with substances. You got to take that back. Let's hit a few comments and questions here before I go away. Bill says, Jack, this is totally off topic. So I understand if you ignore it, would you stock bullhead in a one third acre pond? Maybe. Maybe it is really off topic. So I'm not going to say much on it. Maybe I'll, I'll go that deeper. Uh, one third acre. Very capable of breeding. You need to think about some level of population control. They're a fish that can overpopulate and stunt their growth. So as long as you have something you can do with lots of little bullheads, and as the population comes up, you're culling, that can work. I would be more likely to stock channel cats in a pond that size because precisely they're not going to breed heavily, and even if they do, it's a good problem to have. So I, I would just use some caution with it. Bonnie gave me a 999 super chat. Thank you for that, Bonnie, and said uh, the USA does not return. If the USA does not return to a gold-backed currency, it will be left behind. Will it not? It depends. It depends on. See, this this BRICS currency is a big deal, but it's not a tomorrow thing. This is going to take time. Um, I personally think that the money of the future is Bitcoin. I know people that don't li don't like that or whatever, but it's the truth. Sandy says. Um, Question, who gives a rat's ass if someone lands on another planet when we have thousands of homeless people living on the streets, parents not being able to feed and clothe or having affordable houses? Well, if we start landing on this other planet that's actually our satellite, our moon, I think you might have asked this question before I explained that it is the future of energy for humanity. If we do it right. But don't think that all these nations vying for it don't care. That, that there's not that's not being worked into it. Um, K Bonk says, "Can helium three be compressed?" I don't know. I don't know. I would imagine so. Um, but the only place we can get it in quantity, with any reasonable chance of doing so, is the moon. Uh, Amy says, "Who is your ideal dream POTUS plus vice president?" I don't have one. I'm an anarchist. I don't want one. I don't believe that somebody should tell me what to do. 
if you made me pick somebody right now out of the people that are running, I don't know who I would pick for vice president because I think a, tr- a second Trump administration is likely to happen and will be nothing but a distraction and a disaster the entire time. There will be in- there will be impeachment pr- paperwork drawn up between the election and signing in if he's reelected. And there are there are enough Republicans to go along with it that even if there's a Republican majority, it still might happen. Okay, and even if it doesn't you know, remove him from office, it will be nonstop chaos. So for that reason alone, and the man has still not learned to stop acting like a child and insulting other people who could be allies to him. The whole the sanctimonious thing, good God, why? You're 40 points ahead of somebody. You don't need to punch down like that and be a dick. But he can't help himself. So I'm not pro-orange man. So that if I rule him out, the only guy that I can see right now that has a chance and it is a slim one, would be Vivek Ramaswamy. I'd give the dude a chance. When the guy's talking about I would reduce the size of government in D.C. to 75% of its current size, when he's like, you know, the problem we have and the reason that we need to think about going to war for Taiwan is because of the semiconductor situation and life as we know it ceasing. And if we if we had our ability to produce our own shit here, we wouldn't have to worry about that and risking the lives of our sons and daughters over a foreign nation, yeah. People are like, oh, my God, you'll just abandon Taiwan. You know, if if Taiwan didn't have so much control of the semiconductor production in the world, they wouldn't be so damn attractive either. And that's not a completely, hey, you're totally on your own. It's just, hey, maybe we don't have to sweat it as much. So that's who I would now, who would make a good vice president? I don't know. Spitballing here, Rand Paul. You know, maybe, maybe. I don't even know that it'll matter, though. I'm I'm for doing our own thing. Victoria says, why is pot being legalized? Stoners are lazy. Go along to get along. Yeah, and see, I'm all okay with legalizing cannabis. I think cannabis actually has the ability to be used very, um, very productively. I think sitting around getting stoned, stoners like she's talking about, that, that's really not the way to be. Um, Graham Hancock really drove this home for me. So for those that don't know, when I was a young guy, I did my share and your share of cannabis use. Um, and then I kind of didn't anymore. I just didn't. And I occasionally use cannabis products now, uh, CBD and more, more psychoactive, uh, type of, of cannabis as well. But very specific reasons like for sleep or small amounts for concentration on certain things, or to sit and contemplate things. I think it's actually useful that way. And it was Graham Hancock, and I remember listening to him on Joe Rogan, he said that he realized that it was such a waste to use it, you know, recreationally. And this dude apparently, like, you know, Graham apparently in his youth smoked so much cannabis, we could probably, like, when he dies, smoke him and we could still get high. And and so he quit using it. He's more a fan of the more uh, hallucinogenic stuff now and all, which I'm not. So I don't have a problem with cannabis. But, yeah, um, having people completely stoned out of their gourd with it is, is you know, the same problem as any other substance. And that's what they want. They want you addicted to something. And so you need to not be. 
right? You need to not be, I guess would be the best way to put it. Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Tomorrow will be an expert council Q&A show for the week. I'll catch up with you tomorrow in that. And then um, I'll tell you a couple things here at the end. Number one, I've started chopping up little bits of the podcast, and it's in shorts. Uh, on my YouTube channel, there's actually a playlist. It's TSPC Clips. Uh, I do have a, t- uh, a TikTok now, uh, thanks to the encouragement by John Willis. Uh, like a hundred and some odd people following me there or whatever, and I put them there. I generally dump them onto, you know, the other social media platforms as well. But if you want to start following me with that, it'd be cool. A totally out of left field thing here. I'm in the market for a meat slicer right now. Uh, and, I mean, I'm budget somewhere between three five hundred dollars uh like you know like entry level commercial meat slicer and i'm doing research and but if you own one you know 10 inch uh high quality really happy with it or whatever and you have a suggestion email me and let me know about that i like crowdsourcing stuff with that i'll let you go guys have a great time You should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.